0: Good and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa Canada this morning. You are uh, listening to our show uh, e- uh, live or as a podcast and it was recorded as the secular world begins to enter into 2024. And the Jewish world is completing its reading of the book of Genesis, Bereshit, as it's known in Hebrew. Our Jewish world reads a different portion each week uh, so that we can complete the reading of the five books of Torah each year. For each year, we, the readers, and you, the listeners, Uh, Bring a different set of eyes to the Torah through your yearly experience of growing. This week, the last parasha is known as Vayachi. It's usually translated, and he lived. And it begins at the conclusion of Genesis 47 through Genesis 50. I want to uh, give you, the listener, an overview of this week's parasha, and then introduce our guest, Darshan, our guest, who's going to help us unpack and probe the more deeply held meanings of the portion. Jacob lives the final 17 years of his life in Egypt. Jacob, you may remember, is the third of the three patriarchs. Before his death, he asks Joseph, his son, to take an oath that he will bury him in the Holy Land. He blesses Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, elevating to the status of his own sons as progenitors of tribes within the nation of Israel. The patriarch desires to reveal the end of days to his children, but is prevented from doing so. Jacob blesses all of his sons, assigning to each his role as a tribe. Judah will produce leaders, legislators, kings. Priests will come from the tribe of Levi, scholars from the tribe of Issachar, seafarers from the tribe of Zebulun, school teachers from Simeon, soldiers from Gad and judges from Dan, olive growers from Asher and so on. During this blessing, Reuben is rebuked for confusing his father's marriage bed, Simeon and Levi for the massacre at Shechem and the plot against Joseph, Natali is granted the swiftness of a deer and Benjamin, the last son, the ferociousness of a wolf, and Joseph is blessed with beauty and fertility. A large funeral procession consists of Jacob's descendants, Pharaoh's ministers, the leading citizens of Egypt, and the Egyptian cavalry cavalry, accompanies Jacob on his final journey to the Holy Land, where he's buried in the cave of Machpelah in Hebron, along with other patriarchs and matriarchs. Our Torah portion concludes by telling us that Joseph too dies in Egypt at the age of 110. He too instructs that his bones should be taken out of Egypt and buried in the Holy Land. But this would come to pass only with the Israelites' exodus from Egypt many years later as we will read as we enter the following week into the book of Shemot, Exodus. Before his death, Death, Joseph conveys to the children of Israel, the Testament, from which they will draw their hope and faith in the difficult years to come. The Torah quotes Joseph as saying, God will surely remember you and bring you up out of this land to the land which he swore to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to the land of your fathers, the land of Israel. Well, this is a wonderful way to uh, bring the book of uh, Bereshit to a close. Bereshit began with the creation of the world, and in many ways, we conclude with the creation of the nation of Israel. With me this morning is Rabbi uh, Menachem Bloom, the founding rabbi of Ottawa Torah Center, and one of the longest-serving rabbis in the city of Ottawa. It's a pleasure to welcome you back to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. It's great to be back. Good morning. Um, so let's start with the title of our Torah portion, which, as I indicated in my introduction, usually is translated as Vayachi,
1: and he lived. But that's not quite the way the portion begins. Right. And, and uh, that's, that's a glaring question when you really look at the content of the uh, Parsha. Uh, it begins with the passing of Jacob and ends with the passing of Joseph. Uh, and yet the title is all about life. Vayechi and he lived. Um, so what does that mean? So there is, there is a profound message, uh, in giving a parsha that deals with death, uh, a title that expresses life because it really speaks to a perspective. A perspective on death, and uh, and ultimately a, a perspective on life. And that is that if we look at the Parsha, yes, the Parsha talks about the passing of Jacob and the passing of Joseph, but the main focus on the Parsha is the next generation, the children of Jacob the children of Joseph and the blessings that they were given to continue the traditions and to continue to pass on uh, the lifestyle and the morals and values uh, that began with Abraham passed through uh, Isaac and now Jacob and then Joseph. And now it passes on to the next generation. And so in a certain sense, when could we say that a life was well lived and that the person continues to live, a person's legacy continues to live even after their passing, is when you see that their legacy continues to be uh, to be held by the next generation, where they continue to behave in that same lifestyle. So uh, Jacob continues
0: through his grandchildren, and most especially what continues, I would guess you're suggesting, is this covenantal relationship. Because as we would remind our listeners, while Jacob's name at birth is Jacob, uh, shortly after he has his name changed to Yisrael. Mm -hmm. And uh, these then are known as the children of Israel, B'nei Yisrael, not B'nei Yaakov. And so this um, gift that he gives to them is the covenant that he received from his father who received it from his father um, who received it from uh, the divine. Um,
1: and though, uh, so that is his legacy. Correct. But his, his legacy is, is, it's really, um, uh, emboldened. It's really emphasized by Menashe and Ephraim, um, who were children who were not born in the land of Canaan. They were not born in, in Israel. They were not born growing up with their grandparents. Uh, you know, back in the old country. They are (laughs) now the children of a leader in Egypt, um, the superpower of the world at the time. And they are growing up in a uh, secular environment, a strange environment, a foreign environment, if you will, uh, to what uh, Joseph, to the environment that Joseph grew up. And yet, uh, if... If uh, Jacob could see that even growing up in that environment, they could they they still continue living by the same values. Uh, that is a true testament to the legacy that lives on, even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, have passed. Um, your interpretation here
0: raises a serious question, which. I'm going to ask you to try and respond to. Um, Menasheh and Ephraim appear to be um, the children of uh, Joseph, who outwardly in the text does not uh, manifest any uh, Jewish tradition or Jewish continuity. In fact, we're told that he speaks the language of Egypt. He speaks, he dresses as Egyptians. He even changes his name uh, to an Egyptian name, and perhaps today we would call him an assimilated Jew. And yet uh, the Torah tells us even if the father uh, appears to dress uh, in accordance with the society that he lives in, and speaks the language of the society he lives in, and one would venture to say eats the food of the society he lives in, his children have the possibility of carrying on the covenant. Um, is that something that's part of your rabbinic uh, that you see that kind of reverse transmission
1: of culture? So, So I'll say two comments. Uh, First of all, I, I, I'm I going to make a correction because in traditional interpretation, rabbinic interpretation of the text, the beauty of Yosef is that even though he dresses like an Egyptian and he speaks the Egyptian language, uh, he had not assimilated. In fact, the verse makes a very clear point to say that he would eat separately, not together with the Egyptians. And that is because he had his own diet. He still kept to the diet, to the kosher diet that he was taught at home. And so traditionally we look at Joseph that in fact Joseph is known as Joseph Hatzadik, Joseph the righteous. Uh, because even though he is in a strange environment and is very much in in entrenched in the uh foreign environment he has not assimilated i mean one story is the story with the wife of potiphar who makes advances to him uh, and and he's he sticks to his values uh because he's committed uh to to stick to his values so so you know traditionally we look at joseph as one who is yes very much involved in egyptian life uh, and he marries Potiphar's daughter. That's correct. The text tells us that. That's correct. not Mibrash. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. He's married to uh, Osnat, the uh, daughter of Potiphar. That's correct. So, so what I'm saying is that from a, 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 a uh, rabbinic point of view, from a traditional point of view, Joseph is not an assimilated Jew, if you will. He is still committed. But to your second point, do I see that in the rabbinate? Um, I do, um, especially in our generation where you have many, um, uh, many Jewish families who the parents grew up, um, in a home where the, their parents were Holocaust survivors, for example. And, uh, because of their experience, not necessarily exposed their children to uh, Jewish life and Jewish tradition. Uh, and now while these, while their children are educating their children now, uh, there is definitely a, a, a revival and a return uh, where you see now that the grandchildren are now bringing the family back uh, into uh, the celebration of Judaism. So when Rabbi Bloom
0: talks about our generation, he's making a distinction between his generation and my generation. Um, he's significantly younger and therefore uh, grandchildren that he refers to are, in effect, younger children um, whose parents uh, may have not been raised with the kind of tradition that both Rabbi Bloom and I um, have taught to our congregations and to our classes for uh, decades. Um, so I want to thank you for that. I know you perhaps had not thought about it in advance, but it seemed to be an important, uh, aspect of the parasha to elucidate on. Uh, I want to return to the parasha because you spoke a number of times about Manasseh and Ephraim, and they are Joseph's children who are blessed by Jacob and they play a significant role both in the Torah and then, of course, in the life of the Jewish people, as their names are part of the blessing that parents offer to their children on air of Shabbat. But there's a problem with the numbers here, so maybe you can help our listeners. How many children did Jacob have from his two wives and his concubines? Okay,
1: so Jacob. Uh, so first of all. Uh okay so I'll come back to that. But let me first answer your question. Uh Jacob okay. had uh 12 sons uh and a daughter uh from his uh from his as you said from his four from his four wives. And um Menashe and Ephraim uh become part of the tribes. Um so really it, there is there is an extra one there because Joseph Joseph's tribe now becomes divided into two through his two sons, Manash and Ephraim. Okay, so I want the listeners
0: to just make sure, if you're following this, that there are 12 sons. Dina, the daughter, is not included in the tribal count. Right, because tribal always follows the, the father's lineage. Right? Correct. Yeah. And there is no tribe of Joseph officially. The tribe of Joseph then uh, becomes the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, but they become two tribes. Correct. So as Rabbi Bloom suggests, that would lead us to 13 tribes. Correct. We don't have traditionally 13 tribes. Uh, so what
1: happens? So traditionally, we, we always speak of the 12 tribes. And and yes, before Menashe and Ephraim are added to the mix, we do have 12, but the 12 sons. Once they are added to the mix, the way we still maintain the 12 tribes is because the tribe of Levi, the Levites, were um, uh, separated from the pack, if you will, because they were meant to, they were chosen to serve uh, in the temple. You know, these are the Kohanim, the priests, the Levim, the Levites. They all come from the tribe of Levi, uh, and so that tr- tribe now becomes its own class, if you will. When we talk about the twelve tribes of Israel, uh, we talk about everybody else who doesn't uh, fit into the class of the Kohen or Levi, the priests and the Levites, which both are now from the tribe of Levi. For example, Good. Good. when they went into Israel with Joshua, um, the tribe of Levi does not get a portion of land because they are the priests and the Levites. They are spread out throughout the land to inspire and to teach. And so Menashe and Ephraim, each one get their portion. So once again, you're back to the number twelve.
0: Good. Thank you. Um, Some people might have been confused whether we have 13 or 14 here. If Joseph had had a tribe plus his two sons, that would have brought us to 14. Correct. Um, And even midrashically, there's no one to suggest that we have 14 tribes. Correct. Um, So we now have the uh, Israelites divided into 12 tribes. And Manasseh and Ephraim, who are really not part of the narrative up until this point, um, we have no—of all the other sons of Jacob, there is some storyline in the book of Genesis, some more than others. With some. Yeah, some some not at all. Yeah. Right. Um, Why is it then that Manasseh and Ephraim become part of the parental blessing On Friday night. Just to remind our listeners in uh, Jewish homes on Friday night, usually the father offers to his children, and if there are multi generations, uh, they can be older children as well. uh, If they're around the Shabbat table, or today one might do it even on Zoom. Uh, But there's a blessing that a parent offers to the child, and it includes
1: the name of Ephraim and Manasseh. Right. Why is that? So, so in fact, the source for that is is from this parsha, because one of the blessings that Jacob gives his grandchildren is that whenever in the future any members of the uh, the Jewish people would want to bless their their children, they will bless them that they should be like you. And so the question is: So, what was so special about Menashe and Ephraim? And so that goes back to a comment that I made earlier. What Jacob realized is that the survival of the Jewish people is dependent on uh, being able to keep tradition and Jewish culture, even when we are not necessarily surrounded by Um, whether it's family, grandparents who follow the culture, even when we are not settled on the land of Israel, even when we are not in an environment that automatically draws us in to follow the traditions and culture, um, Menashe and Ephraim embodied this, this idea that even though, as I said, they were born and grew up in Egypt, uh, were committed to the traditions and culture of the uh, patriarchs, and therefore jacob uh and Jacob says this is the best blessing that any Jewish parent could give their children and this is what we do on Friday night that we bless our children that they should be committed to our traditions to our culture, uh regardless of where they are in life and and in what circumstance they find themselves in. Uh, they should have that strength just like Menashe in the front.
0: Great. Uh, that's a wonderful explanation uh, for it. Uh, and um, our listeners uh, may, in fact, be offering that blessing in their own home on Erev Shabbat, Friday night. But it's a custom which many families uh, continue, even if other parts of their life are less traditional, Uh, a wish that their children or their grandchildren um, are uh, guarantors of Jewish continuity. Correct. Uh, We have a few minutes left. And so um, I want to ask you about this interesting um, dichotomy between Jacob and Joseph. Jacob uh, asked that he be buried in Canaan, And the narrative gives us a beautiful story about a funeral and a funeral procession um, in which Jacob's bones are taken back uh, to Canaan and the promised land, and he's buried where his uh, ancestors are buried. Of course, not everybody is buried there. We learned in a previous parasha that Rachel wasn't buried there, but the, the cave of Machpelah, which exists today in uh, Hebron, which is um, a uh, community which is sacred uh, to both the Muslim uh, religion and the Jewish religion, um, and then Joseph says, "Take me back too." But inasmuch as Joseph doesn't die immediately, um, Joseph doesn't get the same funeral. And Joseph is stuck in Egypt, his bones obviously, until chapter 12 or 13 of Exodus, uh, which will be a few weeks from now. So, why does that happen? Right? We haven't begun Exodus yet. We haven't been told that there is a new king who did not know Joseph. So, how do we, how should we understand that
1: Joseph has to remain in Egypt? So, the interesting thing is that when, and that's also in the parsha when Jacob asks Joseph uh Joseph to take him to be buried in the land of Canaan um the text tells us that when Joseph says he will uh Jacob is not satisfied he makes him take an oath swear to me that he will do it as if Jacob is not convinced that he will and one of the reasons uh is that Jacob and Joseph um, had different perspectives. Um, and that touches on a point that we just discussed about Manasseh and Ephraim. Jacob was one who was born, and grew up in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel. And, and this is where he saw Jewish life, uh, taking root and taking place, uh, in the Holy Land in that particular environment. As opposed to Joseph, uh, Joseph was the one, as we said before, addressed uh, as an Egyptian, spoke the Egyptian language, uh, but yet uh, believed that you could maintain a Jewish life while you are in the diaspora, while, while you are outside of Israel, while you are in Egypt. Um, and therefore, uh, Jacob wants to go back to Israel right away. Uh, Joseph says, well, as long as my people are in the diaspora, I will stay with them in the diaspora. I will be with them as soon as they live to go back. They leave to go back to Israel when the entire Jewish nation will leave. I will leave with them. But until then, I will, my bones, even in the, in the, in the way of bones, I will remain in Egypt to serve there as an inspiration and to remind them that um, a Jew could remain a Jew regardless of where they find themselves and what circumstance is going on.
0: So this is a, a parashah that um, speaks loudly to the possibility of Jewish life in the diaspora. Right. right? Though it uh, more than once speaks about the dream that the Jewish people will return to their homeland um, later to be understood as a uh, political Zionism, not simply religious, uh, fulfillment of the, of God's promise. But here we have Joseph more than once, um, saying that in the diaspora, we can maintain some sort of, uh, serious connection to our past, uh, which will help us guarantee our future. Correct. Uh My guest this morning has been Rabbi Menachem Bloom of the Ottawa Torah Center. I want to thank him for helping us to really uh, delve deeply into the meaning of this concluding parasha of the book of Exodus, of Genesis, Bereshit. I encourage listeners, if you missed any of our conversation with our guest scholars about Genesis, you can find them on the chri.ca website or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And you can hear our broadcast on chrifm FM 99.1. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you season's greeting and shalom, and have a good day.